We, uh, we start today in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, this is uh, what our preachers call it the resurrection chapter because uh, that's what Paul deals with is the resurrection. Uh, there's three points in particular he'll make uh, because they were a problem at Corinth, another problem, and it had to do with the resurrection. Some people didn't believe it occurred. I've always thought that that was uh, very unusual, that people, even today, some people who are, they profess to be believers, but they don't believe Jesus was raised from the dead. And uh, I've never been able to reconcile how they can hold that thought and profess to be a believer in Christ. Um, you might say that the resurrection, well, all of it, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, is pretty much the crux of the matter when you talk about Christianity. Uh, it's the foundation of everything. And if you, uh, if you reject that, uh, what have you got left? And this is a problem that existed at Corinth. Uh, there were some people who said, uh, that the resurrection had already occurred. In just a few more um, uh, years from the time uh, this letter was written, uh, Jerusalem would be sacked by the Romans, and uh, a lot of folks, some of our own brethren, as a matter of fact, uh, they teach uh, what they call the 70 AD theory, that is that uh, uh, Jesus came back um, in 70 AD, that was his uh, second coming. I've always thought that was curious because if that was the second coming, what do you have to look forward to now? You know, it's, that's Max King is sort of the inventor of that idea, but uh, it's uh, kind of strange sometimes what people uh, believe, at least to me. Uh, one of the problems he's going to address or make his point, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, it's worthless, and you are still in your sins. You haven't been redeemed. Number two, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, those who have died. Uh, they're dead as a dog, as a Jehovah's Witness would say. Uh, it's over, it's done, it's finished, if there is no resurrection. So your mom or your daddy, whoever you have buried, um, that's the end of them if there is no resurrection. Then number three, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Uh, and that's true. If, if all you have is hope <laughs> and what you hope for isn't going to come to pass, uh, I think it goes beyond being pitiable. I think it's downright foolish to uh, subscribe to uh, an event that you don't think is going to happen. Uh, I, I just don't, uh, I don't see the sense in it. Uh, in John 11, verse 25 and 6, the Lord was speaking to Martha after he was raised from the dead. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die physically, spirit leave the body, he shall live. He's not going to cease to live. He's simply going to move out of his body and he's going to be uh, taken somewhere else. Uh, but he's, he's not going to be non-existent. 
uh, all of his faculties be with him. He'll still have his mind. Uh, he'll have his memory. He'll have uh, the ability to think, to recognize other people. Uh, because, why? Because he believed in Jesus. That was the reason. To believe in Jesus is to believe everything about Jesus, everything Jesus taught. Uh, for example, the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Son of God. Uh, as I said a moment ago, that's pretty much the crux of the matter of Christianity. And if, uh, if that's not true, if you don't think that's going to come to pass, then you can't really say you believe in Jesus because you've denied uh, the most basic fundamental point of all. Whoever lives and believes in me, that person shall never die. So the difference between people is some believe him and some do not. That's what it all comes down to. Some people believe Jesus and some will not. And based on that, uh, their destination will be determined. Uh, those who believe, they, they go on to uh, eternal living, a glorious life that will never end. And those who will not believe Jesus, uh, they're going to go to a place our Lord called hell, Gehenna hell, uh, and there they'll remain um, forever now that they're uh, immortal beings. Uh, it all comes down to that one thing, belief. Uh, do you believe? And when you start talking about belief, you got various degrees of belief. Uh, there's, there's such a thing as vain belief or a, a, a belief that isn't helpful. Uh, there's more to believe than simply assenting to the fact that Jesus is. Uh, to believe as a person supposed to believe is to, uh, is to obey what the Lord would have you to do. Uh, it's, it's in obedience that belief is seen. You can see it with your eyes. Uh, when four men climbed up on the roof of a house and let a lame man down through the roof, uh, the record says Jesus saw their faith. Their action demonstrated their confidence in the fact that if they could get this man to Jesus, he could heal him. So their actions demonstrated their faith. It's not merely believing, but it's having a belief that's so strong that it makes you move to do things. I don't think such a belief comes early on in life. Uh, it didn't for me, I put it that way. Uh, I got to the point where I did believe, and I believed if I obeyed the Lord's instructions, I could become a saved person, and I did it. But as far as my belief, I would have to say it was shaky. Uh, I had doubts. There were some things I just did not understand. Some things I thought too incredible to believe. Uh, is there really going to be a, a life after death? Is that really true? Uh, these things uh, haunted me 
until I found the answers to my questions. My point is, belief is, is relative. We begin with small belief, and if we strive to walk with the Lord, we desire to do that. We want, we really want to do that. Uh, our faith will increase and even go on to the point where it seems like nothing can cause us to stumble. I don't think that's true. It seems like that. But I think the possibility of stumbling is always present because uh, we're far from perfect. The subject of belief is so important, and the reason I'm belaboring it is that so many people claim to have belief, and it's obvious from what they say and do that their belief is not very strong, certainly not strong enough to please God, and uh, that, uh, that disturbs me greatly. Uh, I'm not talking about folks here. I'm just talking about in general. Uh, I had a cousin that was a preacher, and uh, I thought his faith was uh, very weak. Uh, well, I know it was. I could tell by the way he behaved. Uh, he was a preacher, but uh, I think it was more like a, as a vocation or an occupation. It was a way to make a living, and that's what he did. And uh, I don't think it was much more than that. He, uh, he talked a good talk, but um, he didn't believe that much. And uh, every time I talked to him, I didn't get nowhere. Anyway, do you believe this? Jesus asked Martha. That's the important part. Because belief is what sets people apart from the saved and the not saved. And he asked her, do you believe that I am the resurrection of the life? Do you believe that Lazarus will never die because in me he finds eternal life? Do you really believe this, Martha? Well, she claimed she did. I suppose she probably did. But uh, that question, do you believe this, is very, very, very important. Have you ever given much thought to the resurrection? The fact that we're going to live on after death. You know, the Bible uh, gives us a, a picture uh, of what occurs at death, that we, we leave our body. <clears throat> uh, we're composite beings made up of both body and spirit. And when a person dies, actually it's the body that dies, uh, the spirit exits the body and is carried off uh, to another place. Uh, Luke described it as a paradise. And then there will be a resurrection one day when the body will be called back up and us disembodied spirits will re-enter the body, the new body, an incorruptible body. It's gonna be one that don't hurt us. Uh, it's going to be a good one, and we'll be very happy. And then, uh, of course, we'll meet the Lord in judgment, and then we go to eternal life in heaven.
Do you believe that? It's a lot to believe. It's incredible. It's more than incredible. It's absolutely out of this world. Because who would, who would ever think of such a thing? That there was life beyond this world. But do you believe the degree of which we believe is going to determine our commitment to the Son of God? If our belief is little, our commitment will be little. And if our belief is strong, our commitment will be strong. Uh, that's the way it's going to work. Very important. Uh, so important. A brief outline of this uh, chapter. <clears throat> it gives first evidence for Christ's resurrection, first 11 verses. Then he's going to discuss the importance of bodily resurrection in verses 12 through 19. Then the resurrection plan, verses 20 to 28. The incentives of the resurrection, verses 29 to 34. Our resurrection bodies, what they'll be like, verses 35 through 49, and then the fact that we've uh, obtained <clears throat> uh, victory over death. Death uh, wasn't able to keep us down. Uh, why? Because of belief. Uh, one of the points he'll hit hard now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If that's what been preached, you believed it and obeyed the gospel, how is it now that all of a sudden you say there is no resurrection of the dead? You affirmed that there was originally. Something's changed. Something's different. So will there be a resurrection of the dead? This is what he'll discuss. What will be the nature of the resurrection body and what will become of those still living on the last day? Uh, the world will be full, despite what some people say. Uh, the world will be full of people. What happens to them? I understand people have gone to be in the Hadean realm where God keeps disembodied spirits. I understand that, but what about the people that's still alive? What happens to them? And he's going to talk about that a little bit. Chapter 15, when you want to know something about the resurrection, that's, that's where you go. Uh, that's where you begin. And then run all the references. Uh, you can learn a great deal. Uh, <clears throat> Paul proves the resurrection from Scripture, verses 1 through 4. Eyewitnesses, verses 5 through 12. The consequences of no resurrection will be discussed. Paul demonstrates the absurdity of no resurrection from a Christian's perspective. How absurd such a proposition would be. If the dead rise not, well then that means Christ isn't risen, verse 13. If Christ is not re risen, faith in Jesus is absurd. What are you going to believe in? If he wasn't raised from the dead... There's nothing to believe in. That's the proof that he is, in fact, the Son of God. That's the evidence God gave was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The apostles, then, are false witnesses, verse 15. The faith of the Corinthians is in vain. It's not going to do them any good. 
believers who died in Christ, well, they've all perished. You'll never see mom and daddy again. Believers are in a miserable state. Verse 19. Why do they baptize for the dead? This is something that they were practicing, uh, like well, like the Mormons do. Uh, <clears throat> there was a <clears throat> an element in the church that uh, believed if you baptized someone in place of a lost father or mother or whatever, uh, if you baptize someone in their place that that baptism would take care of them even though they're in the Hadean realm. Uh, the idea was they're going to have to live in torment at least for a while and then uh, after their time is served uh, they'll be released from torment and go on to a paradise. Uh, that's this, this doctrine varies in a lot of different ways but that was kind of the gist of most people at this particular time. Why do they baptize for the dead if there is no resurrection, Paul asks. And then finally, fools suffer persecution if there is no resurrection. I thought that one of the strongest proofs of all of the resurrection uh, was the fact that uh, so many people were murdered because they believed in Jesus. <clears throat> During the first uh, three centuries, uh, after Jesus came into the world, uh, Christians uh, were persecuted severely. Uh, hundreds of thousands were put to death. Uh, I forget how many bodies or bones they uh, found underneath the city of Rome. It was, uh, it was over a million bodies that uh, people that had died beneath the city they went underground in Rome uh, during persecution time uh, the question why would they die if they knew that Jesus really wasn't raised from the dead you know a person a person might teach a lie and make his living off of a lie. And he may do it for years. But when there's a cost that he has to face, such as losing his life, that teacher is going to deny Christ because he knows what he's been teaching has been a lie. Men don't die for lies. They die for a truth. They die for something that's real, that's tangible, something that's worth their life. A man will die for his family, for example. He'll put himself out there and try to defend his family. If anybody's going to die tonight, it's going to be me. I'll be number one. <clears throat> Why? Because that family's worth dying for. He loves his family enough that he'll allow himself to be put to death. Well, the same thing is true about faith in Jesus. If you know that Jesus was raised from the dead, your death, even though you don't want to have to go through it, 
your death is going to put you in a better place than you were now because you're going to be transported into uh, a paradise. So it's graduation day for the person who dies. But it's only the person who believes that that's willingly going to allow himself to be put to death for that belief. A guy that's faking it, he'll deny Jesus and live. Well, what would you die? What's important enough to you that you would die for it? It's something worth thinking about. I remember one time when I was in India, uh, there's a big old guy come in a building there, and uh, he was carrying a, what do you call it, a thing, machete? Long knife about yay long. He had that machete. He had a black body, and he was sweating like a horse. Been out working in the fields, and it was hot. And uh, I seen him come through that back door, and the sun was behind him, and all I seen was a silhouette. I saw that big knife, though. I could see it shine. And uh, I'd been preaching against... Uh, idolatry I thought they got them big speakers outside where everybody can hear in the village and I thought that guy had been out there working in the field and he uh, he heard me talking about the absurdity of idolatry and I made him mad and he come in the house to make me hush and very quickly this all happened in a matter of seconds I guess seemed like an hour but uh, I remember the first thing I thought of was that song, you know, where that guy, he asked him where he wanted to put that door in the back of the building. <laughs> he was going to run through that wall. I thought of that song, and I thought about running through that. I could have run through that wall. It was, uh, it was uh, strong. I could have got through that thing. And it crossed my mind to move on uh, because I was afraid. And... Uh, I thought about her shutting up about what I was talking about, changing subjects, because I was afraid that guy was going to tear me up with that big knife. And then I thought, well, I can't do that. That would be wrong. So I just kept preaching what I had been preaching. And when I got done, uh, I knew, you know, here it comes. And sure enough, that big old boy, he come up forward. He's standing there eye to eye with me. And uh, I, I thought I was dead. And what he come up there for was uh, he wanted to be baptized into Christ. And uh, I almost fainted. If, oh, it felt so good. Uh, I thought I was dead. And... Uh, he was baptized into Christ. Uh, a few times things like that happened to me and uh, where I thought I was going to die. I wasn't going to die, but I thought I was going to die. And because I thought it, it was the same as if it had been true, at least in my mind. Uh, there's been a few times that I've been standing where I had to make that decision. 
And thank God I always made the right decision. But you got to ask yourself, for what will I die? What has enough value that I would give my life for it? If the apostles and others had been lying, they wouldn't have died the violent deaths that they died. They wouldn't have lived the violent lives that they lived. It wasn't worth it. There was nothing in it for them. They weren't getting rich. They weren't making money. Matter of fact, they, they just got poorer and poorer. Their last state was worse than the first. And then finally, uh, they were all murdered. Very violently, they were murdered. And they never, ever went back on their testimony. Why would they do that? Because they knew that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And they were going to follow him one day. That's the only good reason to do it. And I think that's one of the strongest evidences of the resurrection. Because you're talking about hundreds of thousands, millions of people who died instead of denouncing Christ. And the deaths they died, oh my. Uh, <clears throat> Fox's Book of Martyrs, I remember uh, one that it, it bothered me a lot. And that's where uh, a woman with a young baby, and uh, they would strip the, the woman off uh, naked, and they would put her up on a pole, tie her up on a pole so far, and uh, they would lay the baby at her feet. And then when that time came, uh, if she had denounced Christ, uh, they would set her on fire and use it for a lamp. Uh, during the games in the Coliseum. And she was on that post and she looked down on the ground she could see her baby down there. And all she had to do was deny Jesus. If she denied him, she'd have come down off that post and her baby would have been back in her arms and she could have went home. All she had to do was deny Jesus. Just say, I don't really believe that he's the son of God. And it would have come true. But they didn't. Why? Because they were, they were so confident that Jesus was exactly what he claimed to be. And that what he offered them was better than anything they could possibly find in this world. <coughs> How much do I believe? It's a question we ought to ask ourselves sometime. Okay, the evidence of Christ's resurrection, verses 1 through 11. Uh, number one, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the good news, which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which gospel you now stand. When Paul came to uh, Corinth, he proclaimed Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, and he preached more than just that. 
He said, he said I preached the good, this good news to you, and you received it. You accepted it. You believe it. And because you believe that you, you become a saved person rather than a lost person. And he said, even now today, he said, you remain a saved person as long as you're still standing on the word of God. You still believe it, trust it, and live it out. Uh, you are indeed uh, saved in the eyes of God. In verse 2, he says, by which gospel also you are saved. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a book that shows us how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to believe, and what the consequences of that belief is. It's a book that gives us information by which we can walk with the Lord and please God because we're walking by faith. Faith which only comes through the gospel, Romans 10, 17. If by this gospel you are still saved, if, conditional, it's not a flat out you're going to be saved by the gospel, but you're going to be saved by the gospel if you do something. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you. If you do not deny it, but you live by it. It's up to you, in other words. You can, you can live by the will of God, or you don't have to. It's your choice. But if you live by the will of God, you can live forever. What, what will you do with that? Unless you believed in vain. Unless their belief was for naught. Uh, there is such a thing as vain faith. What is vain faith? <clears throat> vain faith is a faith that doesn't lead to obedience. If I, if I ask you to do something and I'll give you a reward for doing it, some will probably do it and some probably will not. What's the difference? The difference is how well you know me. Some know me well enough to know that if I said I'll give you a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars if you do thus and so. Because you know me and you trust me to be an honest person, you'll do what I ask you to do and you'll collect a reward. But on the other hand, there's some people that don't know me very well, don't know me at all, as a matter of fact. And the question's going to come in the mind, well, is this guy telling the truth? Is he actually going to give me what he said he's going to give me? How do I know? And do I want to invest my time doing what he asked me to do and then not receive a reward afterward? Well, why should I do that? I don't know this guy. Now, you can take that and apply it to the Lord. It's the same thing. If I know the Lord well enough, I can trust him. I know he's trustworthy. 
and I can do the things he wants me to do because I know that the reward that he offered me is going to happen one day. My confidence in the promises of God depends on my knowledge of God. If I have little knowledge, I can have little confidence. Our confidence, our faith, will not outrun our knowledge. They're always going to be proportionate to one another. In other words, if I know this much about the Lord, then I'll not have any more faith than that because one's dependent on the other. <clears throat> and Paul said, you can stand in the word of God and be saved unless you believed in vain, unless your belief isn't strong enough to motivate you to do what God would have you to do. It's all coming back to faith. It always will come back to faith because it's all about faith. <laughs> It's all about believing God. You believe, trust God. If you do, you'll do what he tells you to do. If you don't, you won't. Just that simple. Just the same as whether you do what I ask you to do or not. Do you believe there'll be such a reward? <clears throat> That's going to determine what you do. For I delivered to you, first of all, I deliver you first in order, not first in importance, but in order. When trying to convince people to become a Christian, where do you begin? The baptism of the Holy Spirit? No. Book of Revelation? No. You don't need to talk about any of that stuff. Where do you begin? How does a person become a Christian? What must I do to be saved? You start in the beginning. And this is what Paul's saying. I delivered you first in order a logical train of thought that, that which I also received. I received this order, and now I preach this order to others. This is the way the Lord taught me, and this is the way I teach others. In Galatians 1 verse 12, Paul said, I neither received the gospel from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't a disciple of uh, other men. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't uh, secondary to the other apostles. He didn't depend on them for their knowledge, for his knowledge and understanding. He received his knowledge like they did, straight from God. Uh, Jesus taught the apostles and now Jesus is teaching Paul, another apostle, later after uh, they were taught. Uh, I received, what did I receive? Number one, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. These are the prophecies of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Paul said uh, it, was, it was prophesied, it was predicted that when the Messiah came into the world, he would be put to death by men had they been acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures, they would have known exactly who Jesus was. There's more than 330 prophecies about Jesus, just the man Jesus. And they, 
they reveal almost every aspect of him. There's so much information given about Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures that there's no reason for a person not believing that Jesus was the fulfillment of those prophecies because he fit them to a T. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, which is a normal way of things, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Two times he places emphasis on the scriptures. <clears throat> How much I know about the Lord is going to depend on how much I know about the Old Testament prophecies. Because there's more information about Jesus in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament. From the Old Testament, we learn that Jesus had a beard on his face. Because Isaiah said, when he was put to death, that they plucked the hair from his face which obviously is a beard. The New Testament doesn't reveal that about Jesus, but the Old Testament does. Uh, there's so much information about the Christ in the Old Testament that had these men known the Bible they had, they could have known who Jesus was. But because of their ignorance, they, they had no faith. And that's where it comes back to faith all the time. It's according to the scriptures. They said that Jesus would die. They said that he would be buried. And he would rise from the dead. The Old Testament scriptures. John 5, 39. Jesus speaking to the leaders of the Jewish people. He said, you search the scriptures. That's the Old Testament scriptures. For in those scriptures, you think you have eternal life. Eternal life can be found in the scriptures. So you pour over the scriptures, seeking eternal life. And yet, these scriptures that you pour over, they're the very thing that testifies of me. This, these scriptures they thought so highly of. All their studying did them no good. I suppose it's because they weren't open-minded. They were prejudiced when they studied. They had developed uh, a theory uh, of what the Messiah would be like. Actually, it's in the Talmud, uh, the writings of the rabbis, uh, and they believed that the Messiah was going to uh, become the leader of Israel. He would become the king of Israel, sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. That when he came into the world, he would, he would raise up the army of Israel. They would throw off the yoke of the Romans. They would defeat him, and they would stand on their own two feet again. And the kingdom of Messiah would be larger, bigger than the kingdoms of David or Solomon. Now, the Old Testament scriptures don't teach that. They don't imply it in any way, shape, or form. But they do reveal Jesus, even down to the fact that he had a beard on his face. They saw what they wanted to see. They couldn't see 
what they didn't want to see. They didn't want a meek and lowly Messiah. They wanted a champion that would come riding on a charger. Prejudice or preconceived notions can keep us from seeing the truth. The last last couple of weeks, we we've seen some of the most incredible stupidity I've ever seen in my life. I've been watching on these universities where these kids are denying what happened over in the Middle East. They deny the fact that Hamas came through the wall and into Israel and slew more than 1,400 people. At least 35 were Americans. And it wasn't just that they slew them, it's the way they slew them. We've got, we've got pictures, we've got film, we've got testimony of eyewitnesses, and these brilliant people going to these Ivy League schools are denying that it ever happened. I seen a flag yesterday. It had the, the, the flag of Israel and then it had the, the sign of a, a Nazi, that X looking thing, as though the Jewish people were Nazis. They don't know that six million Jews were murdered under that Nazi symbol? How could anybody in their right mind put the two together? Are these people this ignorant? Are they so stupid that they can't believe it happened? Well, I guess the answer is yes. There was tens of thousands of them yesterday that was in front of Joe Biden's house. And in front of the White House, they were flying the, the flag of Hamas. I never thought I'd see such a thing. I never thought I'd see such a thing. It is so horrible. Well, I got a hush.